This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. I mean, you're joined today. I am here. I, I belong here. No, what? Well, I'm a permanent member of this uh, podcast for per- perpetuity. No, I, listen, I wouldn't get too cocky about that if I were you. Well, in my latest discussions with our boss, he said, let's give him six more months. I'll be happy if I get that much. <laughs> Let's talk some baseball, Kevin. Baseball? You want to talk a little ball? You know, all right, so Nick Castellanos is now playing the outfield for the Cincinnati Reds. That's correct. Four years, $60 million. $64 million. 64, is that what it was? With opt-outs after year one and year two, if he so desires. It's his opt at their one year, really? His, his opt, yes. His yeah, opt. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, I uh, and, and so on Monday of the, this week, with uh, two weeks to go before camp, Cassianos and the Reds got their deal done, and then Starling Marte was traded by Pittsburgh to Arizona for a couple of prospects. Where were those prospects? How high? Uh, they're lower. They're 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 high upside guys, but lower level. They're not going to pay dividends for a couple of years if they if they do. Um, what were they? You know, I don't need the names, just positions. Uh, I, I don't even recall at this point. Not pitchers, position uh, players. Don't don't I. I don't, I don't know what the Pirates were looking for. Yeah, I, the the Pirates were are just looking for talent right now. I mean, they're they're dumping salary and rebuilding. Mm-hmm. I believe their their payroll at this point in time is forty three million dollars going into twenty twenty. <laughs> is that right? So. Well, that's a couple uh, of Shinsu Chus. That's uh, that's where the pirates are. I, wow. I, I think. Um, wow. You know, I, I think there are a couple ways to look at this from the Rangers' perspective. One is that, uh, um, and I, as I kind of tried to address this this morning, is you look around and this team has made a number of uh, additions for the for twenty twenty. It's it's remade its pitching staff. Uh, with two free agents and a trade for a two-time Cy Young winner, it's upgraded. It's catching. It's uh, it's it's found a third baseman. It's it's balanced its lineup a little bit more with from the left and right side. But then you go back to the night before the GM meeting started, and we had General Manager John Daniels seeming to indicate that this club was going to play at the top level of free agents this year, and Castellanos was the last guy who's going to get a anything close to a major contract and the rangers ended up with with none of them um i i think in the case of let's go through four really quickly in the in the case of garrett cole i think that uh the rangers knew going in that they that didn't was pie in the sky yeah, yeah he was he was going to the yankees the yankees made it clear they weren't going to be outbid end of story well, I, I would have thought maybe 
Dodgers, Angels. The, the Yankees know? made it. I, I, I think the Yankees, well, the Dodgers and Angels were involved. I think the Yankees made it very clear. And, and, and Brian Cashman was very outspoken mm-hmm. um, to indicate, look, we're going to do what it takes to get them. And he and, and and just real quickly, he wanted to be a, a Yankee. I had no idea about the Correct. history that he had with the Yankees. Correct. You know, I, I thought it was going to be a West Coast thing because that's where he lives, that's where he's from. I had no idea about the longstanding Yankee fan business. So. Agreed. Uh, Anthony Rendon was next, and, and you would have thought that that was a, a perfect fit for the Rangers. Uh, I think they made a mistake there, and, and they offered him – uh, they they tried to engage in a negotiation, and I think that um, they they looked at it as a starting point, and I think that Scott Boris looked at it as, look, I've I've already got a seven year offer on the table, so mm-hmm. when you offer six years guaranteed, it's a non starter. Uh, Zach Wheeler, so was, that, that, and that and I agree with you, that was a mistake. John that that was a mistake. mistake. Um, Zach Wheeler was the pitcher they were most interested in. I think in retrospect now we've seen that Zach Wheeler, even though the Rangers weren't willing to go to $125 million, uh, Wheeler was offered 125 by Chicago uh, but opted to go to Philadelphia. He's got family. Uh, his wife's family is from, from that area, and he wanted to be there. Uh, so I, it, in, his, in his situation, I think it was uh, again a, a desire to be in a specific spot. He actually took less money. He took one eighteen yeah. from uh, from Philadelphia versus one twenty five from uh, right. And then you have Castellanos, and I think that Castellanos is is an interesting case. Um, he's not he fits for the Rangers in that he's a right handed bat with with upside, and who seemed to have a big a a, a I wouldn't say it was a breakout year last year, but took a big step forward last year. And, and his best years it, it, may still be ahead. Always of hit a lot of doubles, hit more home runs right. uh, this last year. Um, D- nothing wrong with doubles. No, nothing wrong with doubles at all. Uh, but I, I, I think where the Rangers were concerned, um, they were looking at him as a first baseman, and he's never played first base. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I not He's so played tr- third base, though. He's played third base, but not well. But I will say this: It's not like you're putting a guy over there with a with a you know highlight racket or something. Oh, the, 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 if he's played third base, he can play first. Not base. disagreeing on that. I yeah. I just I feel like when it gets down to it here, the Rangers did not feel were not so enamored of Castellanos that they thought he was a sixteen million dollar a year player. And I think they also felt like if we're going to invest that kind of money. We want it to be for a guy that we think has got more upside than that and that should he reach that level of upside, that we will control him. The The truth here is if, is, is with Castellanos going to Cincinnati, if he has a big year this year, he's opting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for the Reds, they feel like with their pitching staff, uh, with the additions that they've made, they are positioned in a, in a National League Central that may be going through some, some transition right now. Uh, they are positioned to go out and and really take the next step. I don't think the Rangers feel like they're in a position. I think what we're going to get down to is that there's a level of managed expectations here. The Rangers expect to be better in 2020. Right. I think that there's the, their moves this offseason indicate that they are still more geared towards 21 or 22 
when they think that they can legitimately contend for the AL West. Our old buddy, Phil Rogers, tweeted after the Castellano signing by the Reds that he would expect that maybe now they'll go pedal to the metal, as he put it, and go for Lindor. Uh, and, uh, and then they would really uh, be upgrading the lineup. I, I, and I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, and, and it's intriguing to me that the Rangers have made themselves better. I, I always made the, the case that, you know, I don't care where your development is. You, you, this is a big market. You're going into a new ballpark. These fans deserve a more representative team, you know, and, and you, you need to do what you can do. That doesn't necessarily mean you go out and get. I think to me, this was the, the, the improvements that have been made to this team were pretty conservative. They're, 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 they were good improvements. These are, these are good things. This, I think this is a better team. I think this team is five or six wins better than it was last year. Well, I did. I did. I, I put together a little chart this morning. Okay. okay. Do I get to finish what I was going to say? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. It, it, but uh, the question of how much better it was going to get, I, I find it intriguing that that you that we say that ah they don't want to waste this much more money on Castellanos. Who is who had a, an OPS over over one last year, right? No. Well, the second half of the season he did. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. He, Castellanos had a uh, – he was an 860 OPS guy last year. That's pretty good. 860 is pretty good. Willie Calhoun I, was an 850 guy. How many, how many years ago was it? How many years ago was it that, that they gave uh, Elvis Andrews 15 million a year? Oh, I mean, it was. A, listen, that that that's a mistake. You know, they've got a guy, they've got a guy who's going to be 32 this year, who's making 15 million dollars at shortstop. He's going to be one of the oldest shortstops in the league, and it's a position that has become far more offensive than than Elvis is, is has been capable of putting up. Um, it was a different time for this for this franchise. It was, but that's but but all contra- contracts always go up. They never sure. go backwards. There's never any, you know they may they don't even really plateau. They they keep they just keep going up. So so what was that? Seven years ago he got that contract. Yeah, uh, he got fifteen. Well, million, maybe not seven years ago. Five years. Ago. Five years. So five years ago he gets that contract, fifteen million dollars a year, and then he's a shortstop. And that you know I, I get it. That's a little different. Castellanos doesn't he's he doesn't basically doesn't have a glove. Right. So you know, but. Uh, at first base, you don't really need to have one. You just need to be, you know, reasonable at, at first base. And I think he would have been reasonable and give them a big upgrade uh, offensively. And he's uh, and he's got uh, and he's right-handed. I want I want to ask you this. But question. Let me ask you this question. Yeah, go ahead. Let me let me counter with this. And I mean, we ha- I haven't said much about this because I, I you know until this morning. Uh, but going into the off season. Um, the Rangers had some interest in Trey Mancini. I think for for a big period of this offseason, it looked like maybe the Orioles wouldn't deal Mancini. Now, only now does it look like the trade market is actually starting to really pick up. Uh, And and I think Mancini is a name that you'll hear more about over the next couple of of weeks. Uh, And this could be something that goes into spring training, and it might be something that the Orioles end up not doing. But all things being equal, would you rather have three years of Mancini or four year, or potentially four years of Castellanos. Yeah, those are those are reasonable questions. And uh, and and listen, I don't have a problem with if Castellanos has a great year and opts out and goes someplace else. If, the, if that had been the Rangers, then what's the problem with that? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he has if he come here and had a big year and he and he leaves and goes someplace, well, you only had to pay him for one year, right? So 
So the, the thing you don't want is the you know you sign a guy to a five six seven year contract and he's a bomb after two. Right. You know. So. But I think that it, that's the one risk that you that you that you take right is sure in in a in, in a deal like this and it, and it is unusual in a four year deal for a player to get two opt outs. Um, this yeah that uh, yeah you're right two opt-outs. and yeah. so essentially here here's what Scott Boris has negotiated for Nick Castellanos if he's good. He's gone. Mm-hmm. If he stinks, he's yours. Yeah. Um, and, and so the only way the Reds get four years out of this guy is if he sucks in the first two. Oh no, I wouldn't say that. I, I bet. I bet if he's just average. I bet if he if he puts up the same numbers he put up this year, why would somebody? Why would somebody not give him a contract now and give him one next year? If he hits two eighty as an eight eighty OPS, you know. I think he'll stay in Cincinnati. I think if he if he if he hits you know two eighty and hits you know forty home runs and ends up with nine you know nine something, well then yeah, then he probably will opt out. Right. So I don't know. I I think that uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be an either or. But here's the other thing I want to ask you because I don't know much about Nick Castellanos, but what I read about him is that he's a little different. Uh, very outspoken. Uh, supposedly has a lot of energy, brings a lot of energy to the clubhouse. One of the things he says is that every day is opening day to him. But also the kind of guy who's kind of poo-pooed analytics a little bit. He's talked about how some of these things are, are, are too important. I wondered if any of that might have factored in with the Rangers. You know, the last thing we want is a guy who might be resistant to what we're telling him. You know, these are you know these are things you should be doing. We want the other guys to do. You don't want somebody in the clubhouse uh, saying, "Hey, don't worry about that. You don't need to do that." Uh, you know, I I think in doing their due diligence, and again, this is this is why. You know, maybe the Rangers didn't go out and make a more aggressive offer on him in the last month. Is I think they liked him, um, personally and they or overwhelmed by him. Yeah, I, I no, I think they liked him as the overall as package. Okay, um, yeah. but I think they weren't overwhelmed by him. And I think that you know, you do your research into Castellanos and you talk to people, and I've I've heard both ends that he's he's big energy guy, and that you know he's kind of a non-factor in the clubhouse. So. Um, I, if, if they were so moved by the offensive numbers, uh, they would have been aggressive if they were, if, if they were moved by the, um, by the combination of personality and, and the offensive potential, they would have been more aggressive. I, I think they looked at Castellanos as a, as a good, not necessarily great player and feel like ultimately, and, and th- again, they may be, you know, they may Maybe they were willing to go to $60 million with no opt-outs for Nick Castellanos. And, and, the, and, and I think we've seen that, if anything, in this market right now, at least on offensive players, you'd have to say that the Rangers have, have underestimated. Um, they certainly underestimated on Rendon. Yeah. Um, and, and it appears, you know, that, that their market wasn't as high for, for Castellanos as he was willing to go. Uh, I think this team has shown over the last couple of years it's got a pretty good feel on market where pitchers are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, of, of hitting, if you're if, if you're labeling right now, you'd have to say that the indications are that maybe they they're undervaluing some hitters. And so I think that remains to be seen whether or not uh, this is this is a, a gross 
underplay by the Rangers or whether uh, it allows them. And, you know, the as we've seen since Mark, Mark Cuban first uttered the keeping the powder dry comments, that th- that's all well and good until you actually, you know, fire the powder. And uh, we'll see where the Rangers go and, and, and what they do. If they do end up with a guy like Mancini, um, I, I think that, look, you're, you know, it, it's going to cost you a couple of prospects, but it would also give you a guy who's the same, I think, Mancini is uh, uh, he's uh, a well, year younger than Castellanos. I'm looking him up right now. He's uh, um, he, he posted a 900 OPS last year. Yeah, um, he's got three consecutive years of 20 plus home runs. Yeah, uh, there. You know, in 2018 he did not have a good year. Uh, in 2019 and 2017 he had very good years. So yeah, um, I, I, why, why would they give up on him? Because the Orioles too are, you know, they're years away from 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 rebuilding, from from being contenders. He's just twenty seven. He's just twenty seven, but he's, you know, he's going to be a free agent by the time this team is good. Yeah. And if you're going to maximize his value, yeah, now is the time to do it. Well, that, that yeah, didn't... because again, now it's a zero sum game in baseball. Either you're a contender or you're not. But for most teams, and, and the Orioles come with Mike Elias. The Orioles come from a Houston Astros perspective in mm-hmm. that. Uh, if they don't think that their chances are very good, they might as well tear everything down and 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 try and realign themselves so that when they do get all their talent, it is all coming together at the same time. Yeah, I, and, that, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you a, a guy like Mancini, uh, you're right, and a guy who's played first base and and uh, you know, and he's right-handed, and and so that all makes sense. I, I just I'm, I'm in. You know, it's it's interesting to me when we talk about uh, and, and and but the the other part of this whole conversation is, I mean, John Daniels is making um, a uh, an assumption on the market that this trade market is going to last up and into spring training. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically indicated that during the Rangers Fan Fest over the weekend. We'll see if he's right, but if he, he, he and, and in some regards, it makes some sense for this team to be a little bit patient because we don't know if Corey Kluber is going to be effective and healthy. Uh, we don't know if Rugnet Odor is going to be a major league player or if they're going to have to turn to Nick Solak at second base. We don't know if Elvis Andrus is going to 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 uh, bounce back to rebound. Yeah, and, and so um, it, it might make sense to if you aren't overwhelmed by a player to make sure that all the incremental improvements you think you've made around the diamond are in fact incremental improvements. I, I get all that. I just don't, to me, a four years and $64 million is not that much money to me. It doesn't, it doesn't seem that way in, in the major leagues anymore. No, it doesn't. And, that, and that's, that's my whole point is that, and by piling up guys in your lineup, by making your lineup deeper, you you know uh, that just makes such a difference uh, when you've got th- this guy's a proven hitter. You know, I, I think that I think Castellanos' arrow is pointing up. When a guy has been a doubles hitter, that's what Rafael. Uh, whatever we think about what Rafael Palmero might have done, he was a doubles hitter uh, with the Cubs, and when he first came up, he was a you know Hank Aaron was a doubles hitter when he first came mm-hmm. up. You know these these guys they don't they didn't walk into the major leagues hitting forty home runs. You know uh, they they kind of built to that, and when, when a guy has that kind of base, you know that's a very good sign to me when he has uh, when he's hitting doubles to, to to both alleys. That that's a really good sign about his potential. 
And when you've got Shinsu Chu's contract coming up after this year, uh, then you, you've got some money to spend, and, and you haven't really spent that much money. You, you've spent more money, but you're not going wild. And I'm not, I'm not saying they should. You know, I just think that when you were saying when you're ready to go in on Rendon, even though you really weren't, uh, you, you kind of want to do that on the cheap a little bit, um, you know, because that, that's a reasonable question. Do you spend, you know, thirty five million dollars a year on a guy uh, uh, on one guy or do you spend, you know, you know, 15 million a year on on three guys, you know, and, and I. Uh, that's a great question um, because I, I believe that the, the more you stretch that lineup out and you've got more guys who are, who are professional hitters, as we like to call them. I always thought that was interesting when, uh, when you would be in a clubhouse and guys would talk about it. He's a professional hitter. It's like, well, they're all professionals, but you know, but anyway, uh, they, the, when you do that, you just increase your chances. I, the fact that this team won 78 games, with that offense last year is phenomenal to me. You know, it, it's almost like they did it with mirrors. There were so many, you know, better than even chance this guy's either not only making it out, he's striking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, th- th- that the, if you could just add two or three bats to this lineup, you know, that this would really, uh, this would really improve their their odds. And I and I and I listen. I get the whole thing about. Let's see what they're going to do, you know, whether you're going to go all in or not. But that's the thing you can also say about – you can say that already. They can they can start jettisoning guys now. You know, if, if it gets to the trade deadline and, and uh, it's not working out, ah, here we go, you know, and, and, and more power to them if that's what happens. Uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong uh, with adding they're, – they're going to have to add something else. Somebody else to me is going to have to play first base. Whether you, whether you decide that's a platoon – whether you can get a Trey Mancini at that, if that's the listen, I'd be all for that. That'd right. be great, you know, if that's what you're adding. You know, and I mean, you could you could potentially Jackie Bradley Jr. is still out there, and he'd give you an upgrade defensively in center field, but not offensively. Offensively, he's he's got 25 home run power, but he's not been a very good offensive player. That would move Santana to first base, and you're going to be challenged defensively there. Um, I don't think they want to do that. It's. Uh, and look, here's the thing. I, I love Santana. I, I, you know, but I certainly could see it was troubling it toward the end of last year when he kind of started to come on. Now, he did rebound there in the last couple of weeks and kind of looked like he had earlier. Uh, it, it just, when he was really going well at the plate, the, the swing is short and sweet, and it's, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's right on the ball. I mean, he, he was terrific. And then when he was when he was off, it looked like he was just trying to swing through the through mm-hmm. the ceiling. You know, it, it looked like he just changed completely. So uh, as long as he is going to be what his skill set, I think, has always said he should be, uh, then I think he's going to be terrific in center field for them. I, I think, and we've talked about this before, if these guys all play to their potential, uh, I don't know many outfields in baseball that's going to be able to, to produce runs left to right, like Willie Calhoun, Danny Santana, and Joey Gallo. Those, those are three guys who are all capable of an 800-plus uh, OPS, uh, and, and certainly in Joey's case, a 900 uh, or more. So that's pretty impressive to be able to do that. Uh, if you know now, now with Todd Frazier at third base, that will certainly be an upgrade over what they had last year at the position, I would think. 
Well, I, and so anyway, I wanted to get to this chart because, I mean, you pretty much inspired some of this chart when we were talking about uh, um, this team and going around the diamond. Right? Yeah. So if you go by by the chart that I, I did today in which I looked at their 2019 opening day lineup and the, the, their their previous season's war. Yeah. So their 2018 war going into 2019 versus the current 2019-20 lineup based off their 2019 war. That's the every day the the all the starters and then the the rotation. Yeah, um, it was a fourteen and a half war group last year, which is awful. Yeah, um, current war for this group is twenty nine and a half, so wow. it's more than double. Yeah, um, and now there are some there are some things where it's a little bit weird because uh, last year at third base actually Cabrera had a better two thousand eighteen war wise uh, compared to Frazier. But Cabrera accomplished most of that at more premium defensive positions. Mm-hmm. So so the defensive metrics were up a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, I think you could probably say that that Frazier and Cabrera as third baseman would grade out about the same right now. Yes. Um uh, you know, Guzman had a worse year in 2019 than he did in 2018. I, I think that there I think there are Differing thoughts within the Rangers organization as to whether Ronald Guzman will ever be offensively an, a, a, an everyday first baseman. But we both know he's got the ability to hit for some power. Mm-hmm. And we know that he's got uh, exceptional defensive ability. Um, and if he, if, 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 if he goes back to um, – if he can shorten his swing up a little bit, make a little bit more contact, this guy might not be a all-star first baseman, but I think he can be an adequate major league first baseman. Um, Rugnet Odor was a terrible second baseman last year. Mm-hmm. The year before, he was a two-and-a-half win player, and that was not for a very good year either. Um, if he goes back to being a two- to three-win player, that's more of an upgrade. Um, Elvis Andrus, we know, has to be an upgrade over last year. Um, and, and so there's there's continued room for growth here on this team um but I, I still feel like you would like to see another bat emerge somewhere yeah well and i believe the easiest thing to do is at first base i i, I don't believe i don't believe in guzman as a full-time first baseman mm-hmm. I, just, I just don't think he is he, he's never really hit in the minor leagues why do you think he's going to hit in the big leagues and um He's uh, and he is a tremendous first baseman, but as we've seen before, that those metrics they they just don't translate as well when you're uh, for a great first baseman. It's a nice thing to have, and certainly you you know especially if you you're a little scatter armed on the left side of the infield, uh, it certainly helps. Um, but uh, you can get by with that. Let me ask you this because they're looking for places for Nick Solak to play, right? Mm-hmm. What if they? What if he did a? Because I'm, I'm not a, I'm not averse to a platoon at first base. What if he were to play? You you play him uh, as your right-handed platoon at first base, and then you let him play. You know, everywhere else you want him to do. Well, I mean, Solak is going to go to go to camp. He's going to work some at first base, but he's also going to work some in center field. And yeah. uh, the idea would be that he would potentially be the the center fielder and. Um, on day, uh, not the starting center fielder, right. but have an ability to play center field. And if you wanted to platoon Guzman at first base, you could move Santana in to be the right-handed half of that platoon, so that he plays every day at first. He plays center field regularly, 
plays first some against left-handed pitchers. You do that just to get him off his feet, or you do that to, you do bit? that to get Guzman off the field against left-handed pitching. But why wouldn't you rather have Solak play first base than than Santana? Uh, I, I think that's going to be determined on based on you know what they see defensively. I, I what I saw last year at first base, I thought that Danny Santana looked like. I don't know what the heck I'm doing over here. Right. It's not a question of just catching the ball. It's a question of I don't know what to do when I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would assume that uh, – Either that's... way, they're going to be – either way, with either of those guys, they're going to be playing somebody out of position. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. They also acquired Sam Travis, uh, a right-handed hitter from Boston, yeah, um, who will go to camp with an opportunity to create uh, a role for himself. And, you know, with a 26 guy on the roster, they've got some other ways they, they, could, they could look at things. Mm-hmm. I mean <clears> – <throat> There's there are other ways to get a right-handed bat in the lineup at first base. It may not be, it's certainly not going to be as accomplished as a Castellanos or a Mancini or somebody like that. But they can they can get Guzman out of the lineup if they need to against right-handers for the first three at bats of the game, or against left-handers for the first three at bats of the game. And if you've got a lead, then he becomes a real asset late in the game as a defender. So. Um, I, the, my, my issue with him is that I just don't – I think it, the time should be over thinking he's going to be your everyday first baseman. He's just mm-hmm. not going to be. He's either going to be a platoon at first base or nothing. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think you need to go into the season with that as your mindset. Oh, I think that's, I think that's your plan. The, yeah. He will be in a platoon situation. It's just the, the, the platoon partner is TBA. Yeah. Um, Solak offensively presents the most – whether it's Solak at first base and Santana in center or Santana in for, at first base and Solak in center, Solak presents the most intriguing opportunity. I, I think so because here's the thing. We know that Danny Santana can play center field. I have no idea if Nick Solak can. Right. And and so why I, I, I'm always for, for putting – especially a guy like Santana, and I've had this discussion with, with John Daniels, you know, you know, we know what happened to him in Minnesota. You know, everything went south fast for him. You know, he was mm-hmm. a guy that showed uh, some some real uh, potential there as a rookie, and then uh, he just all went to pot. Uh, I remember one uh, something that uh, our old pal Jerry Fraley once told me that uh, some, what some scouts said about uh, Santana about and about his fundamentals uh, and uh, that weren't good. And you know, watching him play. You know, it's it's this whole idea of him being a, a utility player. The thing when I watch him play is that uh, when he's playing shortstop, when he's playing second base, he does a lot of things where he doesn't set his feet and throw. Uh, he's not, and he is not fundamentally sound. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of his errors come from, and that he makes. And then when he's making errors, I think it he starts to lose confidence. Um, and I think that you need to put him in a position where he looks pretty comfortable in center field. Uh, I, I, I would want to do everything I could to make him feel good about where he's playing. I, I would, if he, and when he looks as awkward as he does at first base, he cannot be feeling good about that. And mm-hmm. I, I would not want him carrying that over to, to the plate. So at any rate, I, I think that the Solak thing with, with platooning at first base, if you're, if you are really trying to find time for him and a place for him where that's a, a semi-regular thing, uh, I think that's good. Because when you talk about, oh, we want to get this guy, he wants, we want a super utility guy, it's like, yeah, well, where, where are you going to play? 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, some of these positions. I mean, certainly there's the possibility still looms that he can end up being your second baseman if, uh, uh, if you know Odor bottoms out again. Mm-hmm. Yes, he could. Good, good point, Kevin. Great. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you listening out there, this is when Evan has drifted off. I no, I I I, I don't. If I, I think if Danny Santana ends up as your second baseman, then you've got some issues because well, I was saying Nick Solak, but that's when you were sleeping. No, I, I I thought you were saying that Santana could end up as your second baseman. No, again. Solak. Yeah, I, Solak. I I don't think Solak can emerge, and and I think this needs to be this needs to be clear. I I. I don't think Solak can emerge from spring training as the the starting second. Baseman. No, no, not from spring training. I'm, um, I'm saying that if you go into the season, no, no, no. I, I know exactly in, what you're saying, but I, I I think that there's there's still a lot of people uh, who believe in competition battles and position battles. Uh, this overall roster, or, or at least the everyday lineup, I think is going to be pretty set going into the season. Um, making decisions on benching Rugnet Odor unless you absolutely and totally see lack of effort and unwillingness to listen. And I don't think those are things that you would ascribe to Rugnet Odor. Uh, it's going to come down to performance, and that's going to start when the season starts. And um, <clears throat> so I, I think you have to give him the opportunity to at least go into the season and play second base. The question then is going to become, if if Nick Solak is not your everyday second baseman going into the season – what do you do with him? Yeah. Do you keep him as a, as as a utility guy? Completely possible if you are determined that you are going to play him three four times a week around the diamond. If not, then you have to sit down with him and talk to him just like you did Willie Calhoun and say you have to go to AAA because you have to get every day at bats because at some point in time in the season you're going to be an everyday player on this roster. And I need you to be ready to immediately step into that. Um, so, so that's gonna. I think that's gonna be the big question on Nick Solak going into into spring training. Is is this guy gonna be able to carve out a role for himself on the major league roster, or is he gonna be better served by starting the season in Nashville? No, something we had talked about before. Todd Frazier and uh, the the fact that he's had some uh, injury problems, and and uh, so would you. Th- because cause my, my issue has always been everybody wants to talk about getting these guys, you know, three and four times, three and four games a week. And it just never happens. Uh, and so because when it comes right down to it, when you're penciling in that line. And, and also, you know, early in the year, you've got a lot of off days usually. Right? Yeah, right. Um, and, and you've got you've got a lot of. Um, uh, yeah, early in the year, you've got you've got you've usually got more off days built in. And because of that it makes it even more difficult for you to say, I'm going to get this guy three or four days a week because at the other, it, it comes at the expense of your other guys too. Yeah. I, you know, I've had this discussion with Tom Greve before. And, and I remember one time I was, this was several years ago. We were talking about Elvis and they were wanting to, they were wanting them playing fewer games. I think they were thinking 140 games is what they wanted to play. And, and Tom's thing was that, how can you play, how can you play this guy fewer games? He's your best shortstop, you know? You, and I, I know Tom's an old school guy, and I'm a little bit of an old school guy when about that thing too. It's how do you take your best player out of the lineup, uh, or one of your best, certainly the best player you have at that position right. out of the lineup. You don't want him to. Obviously, you want to keep him fresh. You need, that, that's something that has to happen. But it's hard to do just because you want to get this other guy in. 
So I could see, you know, so like playing a little bit for Frazier every once in a while because, you know, maybe maybe you do want to preserve him a little bit. Maybe he'd be better uh, if he's not playing. Well, and if you've got if you've got a platoon role for him, um, then he's got, you know, let's say probably twice a week built in, whether it's at first yeah. base or center field. Yeah. Uh, I think you I think at the start of the season, uh, Ruggie's going to have to, you know, sit against some left handed pitching. Um, and you've got some opportunities. Really, you think that'll happen right away? I, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think right now that Rugnet Odor, um, I don't know that he's going to get the opportunity to play every day. Um, I think he'll be the regular second baseman to start the season. But uh, and, and you know, last year his his splits were, I think, a little bit on the reverse side. Um, but they were awful against both. Yeah, he was actually a two thirty six hitter against lefty and two ninety against right handers. Um, but he, he, in the past, he, for his career, um, he, he's a uh, he's a significantly better OPS guy against right handers than he is against lefties. So I, I would think that you know whether it's once a week or whatever against a left hander, you get Odor a day off and. I I think the same may apply to Elvis, but I don't know that you can consider Solak a shortstop. No, um, and you know you're forcing the the situation, whether it's in center field or at third base with Solak. I think he might be better off as a center fielder than he is as a third baseman. But but he, all of those positions, you can make a case for getting a guy at least a day off a week, and you can make the case for Solak starting at all those positions. But you're starting him simply because of his bat, because defensively he's still a little bit challenged compared to other guys that you've got at every one of those positions. I would say this. There is no tougher position for anybody to just go play who has not played it than third base. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, as a 26 guy, in my mind, I think that's why uh, Kiner Falefa has some value because I think he – He plays it pretty well. He I goes – he, he – this kid – never takes his glove off. Mm-hmm. Never. He is in the clubhouse. That's why he's having trouble hitting. <laughs> well, that's true. But he is in the in the clubhouse getting the feel for his glove um, pretty much from, from the moment I walk in the clubhouse. And I think he takes a lot of pride in that. I've seen Isaiah a couple times over the last couple of weeks. He's added a little bit of bulk. I don't think Isaiah Kiner – I don't look at Isaiah Kiner-Falefa as an everyday player – but I think he could have some value to this team, particularly with that 26-man available as a utility guy. And, it, it, again, if it is a situation where you want Solak at third base for three at-bats and then you decide, mm-hmm. okay, we've got a lead, we're going to bring the guy in who's a defensive specialist, uh, whether that's at second or at third, uh, Kiner Falefa offers you some value that way. Yeah, he does. See, I, I like him in that role. Yeah, I, I mean, if I, I hate that this is going to come out as um, – uh, a shot, I guess, at, 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 at some players. but And I said this to Chris Woodward the other day. Uh, if you gave every player on this roster the work ethic that Kiner Falefa and Jose Trevino have and that they put into their craft, uh, you would have a roster full of guys reaching their absolute maximum best. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either one of those players are everyday players, mm-hmm. but I, I know that they're going to reach – whatever their ceiling is in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, yeah, Connor Falefa, he really he fancies himself that. What I like about him is, is that uh, he's not cocky, but he is he is confident in his ability. 
because I'm, I'm sure because of the preparation he puts into it. Uh, it it's, it's who he is. I mean, it, yeah. it's just part of it, it's part of the makeup. And I've I've said this before. I'll say it again. I mean, in in that regard, there are some elements of Counter Falefa that, in that regard, being confident without being cocky. Mm-hmm. There are some elements of of him that remind me of Michael Young because that's exactly the way Michael Young carried himself before he was established. Was mm-hmm. that he 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 felt like he belonged, and he made that clear. But he was very receptive to input, to being taught, to working, and never um, took anything for granted. And I I see a lot of that in Isaiah and and. Uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see if that bulk, if that bulk that he adds, um, has an impact on him offensively, power-wise. It'll also see if you know it makes him any less. Uh, I, I mean, it's not like the, the guy. I'm not going to say the guy looks like Mr. Olympia, but it, it's clear he's added a little bit of weight and muscle. Really, and, and uh, I don't think that'll take away from his defensive game. But you know, you you never know when when your body makes some changes. Your your body makes some changes. Uh, you know, if he were if you were asking to play shortstop, maybe I, I don't think I think so much at third base, and and certainly not if he ever gets a glove on a catcher again. You know? I don't think that'll happen. The catching thing. Well, I mean, I think it would only be in an emergency. Oh, be, well, he'd be a great emergency catcher. Well, that's what you want him for. It's an emergency catcher. I I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to put him in that position. He clearly doesn't like it. You know, so uh, and I don't blame him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's great to have him on the roster just for that. To me, you know, he he needs to be, he needs to be on the roster. Uh, he should be the twenty sixth guy. I don't think there's any question about that. So let me ask you then about the about the catching situation. So uh, John Daniel said the other day that uh, that Jeff Mathis was going to he he expected it to be Robinson Torino and Jeff Mathis. Um, I think some of that. My impression is is that because he because uh, guys like Mike Miner and and uh, Lance Lynn like him. I, I I listen. I I think it it still comes down to to this. Um, if you make a decision on Jeff Mathis, it's a permanent decision, and you're you, you know you're throwing two two point five million dollars in the air. Yeah. Um, making it rain. Making it rain, and you know you can have Trevino go to the minor leagues and and catch every day. And how old is Jose? Jose's twenty six. Um, yeah. You know it's it's not ideal by any stretch, but uh, I think the Rangers are are willing to go into the season with Mathis. They're going to pay him two and a half million dollars one way or another, right? Right. They're willing to go into the season and see if uh, uh, having given him the rest and and putting him back in a backup role. If that makes a a difference, and if it doesn't, they can turn to to Trevino pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I guess my problem with all of it is is that because look, Jeff's a great guy, uh, and he and he's a team first guy, so all of that's really good. It's just that it's zero offense, and I think the met the defensive metrics last year weren't good, were they? No, no, it was not a good year for him. It was not a good year for him in the areas where he is. Uh, where he has strength. So, and and I think at some point you're doing a disservice to Jose Trevino, who, like you just said, who's worked really hard. He's won two Gold Gloves in the minor leagues, and uh, agreed. And if you and were, he's and he's 27 years old, 27. And 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 agreed on all this is that if you were if you were strictly rebuilding, there would be no reason to carry either Robinson Trinos or Jeff Mathis, right? No, no. Um, and if you were contending, 
you'd absolutely want Trevino, you know, as your third option, mm-hmm. um, unless it's so clear that he's he's a better second option than Mathis. Oh, I, that, that's my point. Right. My point is he is better. He might be. He he. In my mind, he might be. What he showed in September. And again, September, you know, basing things on September can be as dangerous as basing things on spring training. But based on what I saw in September, the guy had made some adjustments and started to hit with a little bit of pop. And if he can do that, he's a capable, if not above average, major league backup catcher. Were his defensive metrics better than Mathis's last year? I believe they were, yeah. Yeah, I believe they were too. I would say the only there was there was no part look, Jeff Mathis's Jeff Mathis had a war of minus two and a half yeah. last year. It was a disaster of a year. The Rangers asked him to do more than he was capable. He was hurt. He, he it just it was not a good year. Um, again, if we if we're you know we can talk about the mistake on Anthony Rendon and and how the Rangers approach that. The other mistake that I I really think that they made in the last two years was that they didn't re-sign Robinson, or they didn't not re-sign him. They didn't just pick up the option on Robinson Trinos. Now they've had to go back, and they paid Robinson Trinos more than they were going to have to pay him a year right. ago. Plus they've got Mathis. So they put themselves in this position. Um, but I, I, I think all of that considered, they're still going to plan to go into the year unless it's an absolute knockout with Mathis as their backup and Trevino playing every day in the minor leagues. I think that the, the only reasons you're doing that is because you owe him $2.5 million and because the your two best starting pitchers like him, you know, and they prefer him. I'd I, I like to know. Well, I think they liked him and preferred him over their other options last year. I think they thought that Jose is just a young guy. I think they, they had a – Jose wasn't up until, really until the end of the year. Right. But I just got the impression that they, they thought – this guy, we know what this guy's bringing to the table. He, he's going to, you know, you know how it is with veteran pitchers. They, they never yeah, I think it, I think it was more that they didn't. They, they weren't didn't, comfortable with They it. weren't comfortable throwing to Isaiah. Well, not when, at all. Yeah. So I think that that had more, that related more to that than anything else. Probably. Okay. All right. Well, we should get out of here. Okay. I mean, Tommy's going to come in here and yell in a minute. Tommy's no, always not. yelling. I want to just say this: our good friend Brian Allage uh, has has left the building, and uh, it's just not going to be the same in here anymore. You know, the level of professionalism. No, Brian is left. I'm Brian. just kidding. Brian left. We love Brian, but we love Tommy. Tommy Noel, you are now the captain. I am not the captain. That is what Brian said, <laughs> no. and he and he is right. Brian Elledge no. directed our, our our video and audio um, efforts for for a while here, and he was uh, he was a great teammate, um, and and we wish him well. Um, but I, I also uh, do you think he's listening to this podcast? No, um, <laughs> no. That was one of the reasons he left, is so that he wouldn't ever have to feel like he needed to listen. But I I, I feel like. With uh, with Tommy and, and and Benjamin and and our whole group in here, does Benjamin even work here anymore? I never see Benjamin. Yeah, he's still here. Is he? Okay, all right. Yeah. Here. Can Kevin throw anybody <laughs> under the bus or what? <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to pay compliments to everybody. Kevin's like, ah, this guy don't work here. <laughs> Anyway, Listen, I anyway. want to I want to apologize for being a little uh, cranky this morning. I was a little cranky. You you put me in a bad mood when you turned up the the volume so loud. Well, you're on my old, headset. Kevin. <laughs> Most people that are old like that turned up really loud. Right. Not me. Well, anyway, uh, Tommy, 
Yes. Tommy, are you there? See, yeah, I'm here. This is the part about Tommy's management style that I like is he's on the microphone. Um, Tommy, what did you think of the podcast this morning? It was great. Tommy. <laughs> At least he was paying attention. Tommy, lie. I do. Tommy, Lyon, knew, I Tommy knew that I was talking about Nick Solak and not Danny Santana. I did. Tommy, uh, lying's going to get you far in this business. Oh, look. Look at my notes. I take notes so Tommy's I know how to taking notes. write the headlines. That's so good. That is so, so great. Yeah. All right, Tommy. Um, should we sign off now? Please. Okay. So that uh, for for everybody in here, to all of you out there, uh, that's it for Ballsy this week. We'll see you later, everybody. Wee. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans. We'll see you.